Hello, and welcome to Danley and Friends. I'm your host, Ryan Danley. On this podcast, I seek to spread joy by connecting you with my friends and other people who are doing positive things in their community and in the world at large. I also seek to spread connection through encouraging open dialogue, having difficult conversations, and exploring new ideas and concepts. In this episode, I stay true to the name of the podcast as I host my friend, Kiara Williams. Kiara is someone that I truly admire after getting to know her. Her mother was a teenager when she began having kids, and her father was incarcerated. This led to Kiara having to move homes a lot when she was young. A lot of change, a lot of turmoil. But she did not let this define her. What did this young lady who has experience with the foster care system do? Well, this young lady grew up to become a young woman in leadership at one of the largest companies in the world. The company's so big, I actually can't say the name or we'll have to get some releases signed. That's how big of a deal the homie is now. In her role and in her being, she operates from a place of love. We discuss how, although she has faced dark times, love has always been central as a theme throughout her life. We discuss finding and discovering your joy through things like art. And we discuss giving, not just through the lens of giving back, but giving forward, in a sense, and enabling others to find their joy. Kiera is one of those people who warms my heart, and I know that she will warm yours too. Enjoy the show. We are live. Kiera, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, You're someone that I think is really positive and just really cool and uh, could be a role model for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, with that, you just have this energy about you that I think is magnetic and contagious and always trying to do uh, the best things that you can possibly do. And so I think that's cool. And therefore, I wanted to talk to you. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love being here. And I think when anyone introduces you and they do it like that and and they say those kind things like that makes that's got to make you feel good. It makes me feel good. So thank you. Oh, that's what's up. That's what's up. Well, you know, I know who you are. We've been friends for a couple years now. And, uh, you know, the people listening, who is Kiera Williams? Um, Kiara Williams is dramatic. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> honestly, like if I had to say who I was, I could say it in three words. I am love. Like that's really who I am. Um, and I, I do a lot of different things with love, with what I am. I create things. I'm an artist. I like creating functional art pieces. Um, I'm a leadership development um, professional and leader in the organizational development space. I do that with love. I, I would say in the corporate space, what I do is teach leaders how to lead with love and how to create things and create space for love in the workplace. Um, I'm a sister, I'm an auntie, I'm a lover, an actual lover and partner, I'm a friend, I'm so many things, but I would say three three letter three words, I am love. That's that's who I am. That's what's up. That's a beautiful introduction and I I want to dive into uh, so many different facets of, of that and who you are, but I want to start with this love piece. Um you work for one of the largest companies in the world and you're uh you know, woman of color and leadership who's doing things to bring love to this community in this space. 
Um, talk to me a little bit about how you arrived at love as a theme that you wanted in your life. Yeah, I would say it's it's interesting when you use the terms um, or the term arrive at love, because I would say like that's where it started. And it's been this journey to kind of get back to something that I always was. Um I grew up in a, you know, broken home. Uh, my mom had her first kid when she was 14. My dad was incarcerated my entire life. And I grew up in the projects kind of getting passed around from, from home to home with my grandmother, my great aunts. And in my life, I've seen a lot of love. And I think, um, a lot of people hear my story and they're like, tell me about all of these like dark times. And like, they want to center on like, tell me about all of these awful things that happened to you. Um, and for me, it's like, yeah, but I can't give you that, but without also showing you that other side, that polar opposite of like all of the love that I've had in my life. I had the love of a grandmother, of an aunt. Um, and it saved my life. I had the love of art. Art saved my life at a very young age, being able to take all of that energy and all of the things that were happening around me and to channel it into actually things that were meant to break me and destroy me. I actually was able to channel that energy into being able to create things um, and create things that I loved. And so um, I always wanted to do things with love. I always wanted to give love. And like I was that little kid that like sat on the bus that like, was always getting roasted for sitting next to the kid who no one wanted to talk about or <laughs> talk to and like sit with and play with because like that's just really who I am. Um, throughout life, I think societal norms kind of like had me believing that I needed to protect that part of myself, right? Like, oh, you're so soft or you're so weak. And um, I could sense that I was moving. I can sense now looking back on it that I had been moving further and further away from love and doing things out of fear. Um, and, and that worked for me for a long time. I went to a really great school in Ohio for college. I went um, and studied a bit at one of the best schools in the nation um, in psychology, came back, got an MBA. Like I, I was doing these things that on paper were made me wildly successful, <laughs> some would say. Um, but the more I achieved, the more I felt like I had, I didn't feel fulfilled. And um, so probably about seven years ago, um, as I was kind of circulating through the HR space in the corporate world, um, I started studying organizational development. I started really um, focusing on some of the things that shift and change cultures. And I, of course, like I'm a strengths finders coach, like you, you look at all of these different psychometric assessments, and I know you have a background in this too. So I'm hoping like, I want to hear from you on this too. Um, and so you look at all of these psychometric assessments and 360 assessments and some of the gaps that you have in the corporate space with leaders. And to me, it's like, I think the biggest thing that we're missing is like being able to understand and trust each other and being able to love each other. Um, and when you can create a space for trust, love and compassion, you create leaders who create that space for their other people. You create beautiful things. You create love. You make things with love. And um I would say how I lead now, like, and how, where I am now with creating leadership development programs for, you know, the largest tech and logistics company in the world. Like for me, it's like, this is my biggest challenge, but I feel so fulfilled because I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Um, 
And I feel also more centered this year with everything that's gone on in 2020. I feel more centered in who I am and being loved than I ever have in my entire life and okay with it. Like, so okay with sitting with who I am. And so, um, like I said, I, I create other things outside of leadership programming, but I would say that's kind of my journey has been like always knowing that love was important, um, being told like it's not. And then realizing like, yes, it is. <laughs> and kind of like that personal journey has intertwined with like the actual work that I do. My, my roundabout way. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful. And, you know, I'm very curious to kind of hear about how you shifted from that place of fear back to a place of love. And, you know, was there an event or was it uh, like a gradual realization over time that unfolded? Yeah. It's a good question because I can't say that there was just one thing. I would say it's been a compounding, like brick by brick process. Um, I will say, like, I started to feel this shift really greatly a couple years ago, um, almost three years ago now, actually. Like, the time has has flown. Like in 2018. Um, I was, I was going through this process of, I'd switched roles. Actually, my, my role had been eliminated. So um, being an HR business partner, I'd been an HR business partner, partner for a couple of years. Like um, you're that person that has to deliver like layoffs. And so I had been a part of like laying off people, unfortunately, like, you know, depending on where the market went um, and had to be a part of those tough conversations. And then I myself had to have that conversation with the company that I was working for, which I loved. I loved the space that I was in. I loved my role. And I knew that it was coming, right? Like I had actually written that my role was going to go away and still hurt. And it still left so much like there was so much unknown um, and so many different things were changing around me. So now I have to find a new role. All of the roles that I was looking at um, took me to different cities and I had to like really reach out to different people that I hadn't maybe known before and figure out like in all of the chaos, where was I going to find my center? And I think the chaos is what really allowed me to, when I think about the course of that entire year, um, I tried a lot of different things. Like I consulted, I consulted with so many different companies. I was cold calling people like asked like sales HR salesperson, like, tell me about all of your problems so I can tell you how I can, I can help you. Like, I'll do it for free. Just give me the opportunity to like expand my portfolio. And I would say, um, when I started to embark on that journey of like, okay, this is the next step. Like I have to believe that the universe is not conspiring against me. It's conspiring for me. And so now I really need to dig deep and be centered with who I am and know who I am. I'm not just a leadership development professional. I'm not just an organizational development professional. I like what is different about me and like what value that I bring to the universe, to the world and to these companies. And so I would say um, it's always been there, but I think there was like a, a real need to like define and, and refine what that looked like around that time. Um, and so I dug really deep into like, okay, if this is who I am, like, how do I continue like exposing myself to other perspectives and things that help me? Um, like, like I said, really refine and define what that is and who I am and where I want to go with it. I'm curious about that process. So, um, you talked a lot about finding your center and that is one thing that, you know, people say, it's like, you know, do the work, find your center, find out who you are. But it's tough for us to try to put some tangible steps 
to that process. You know, what were some things that you did to help you along and you know, reflect on who you are and find that center where you operate the best from? Yeah, I spent a lot of time by myself. Uh, which hopefully we'll talk about because I don't think it's good to only stay with yourself for a long time. But I do think that there are periods of our life where just like a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, like it, a caterpillar transforms after a moment of stillness and oneness with itself, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think there was a certain point like where you've got to kind of shut out the outside world within reason as much as you can, right? Um, but I really, like I stopped going out as much. I really... I really wanted to sit with myself and like I started creating again. So like I would say spending time doing some things like people call it hobbies. I don't think of it as a hobby, right? Like art for me is just like, it's another part of me. It's not a part of me that makes any money right now yet. (laughs) And so like, I can't spend all of my time doing that because I have to keep the lights on. Right. But it is a part of me like being able to create is. And so I started just creating things like, how am I feeling? I, I started journaling and writing things down. Like I really sat with my feelings and I allowed myself to experience them. And I think one thing that I would say, um, a lot of people have a hard time with, and this is human, this is human nature is we don't like to feel bad. So when we go through things, it's not our nature to keep that feeling or to want to feel that for a long time. And so a lot of times, if you don't deal with it, what you end up doing is repressing it and you send it back somewhere in your brain where you're like, this, this information is not helpful for me right now. I can't deal with this. And then it later on, like manifests itself in other things because it's undealt with. And so I, I sat down and like, let myself cry. I let myself cry for like two weeks, even though I knew that this was coming, I let myself feel that emotion. I let it come. And then when it, when I felt like, okay, like I've sat with it, I understand, like I'm sad. I I allowed myself to feel feelings of rejection. I let it go. Like allowing it to come and sitting with it for a while allowed me to let it go. So I would say that's another thing too. So like write things down, ask yourself how you're feeling, create things. I also um, was single at the time. And so I let myself, like, even though I spent a lot of time with myself, I also after I felt like I had spent enough time with myself, like I dated a lot. (laughs) And so like, if you're in a relationship, like obviously I'm not saying go date other people, but yeah, half friend dates. When you feel like you've sat with yourself a little bit and you've asked yourself a thousand different questions, like go actually be around other people and like talk about those things. Like actually talk, like do what we're doing right now. Like talk about how you're feeling with your friends, ask what's going on in their world so that now you've got your perspective you've got other people's perspectives. Um, And then like, there were some things that had changed when I started talking with my friends again, I was like, huh, like I actually see this in a completely different way now that I've like actually spent time with myself and like, I'm okay that my perspective is different from yours, right? Um, But doing the work of spending the time and then also like getting feedback from other people that I respect that were in the spaces that I wanted to go in um, is important. I think even like with this podcast, like I I love podcasts where it's like, Hey, tell me about how you're feeling. But I always say like in this world now where we have so much access to information and everyone is a psychologist or a therapist now because they can save and pin a couple tweets on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's got an opinion. 
everyone's got like giving out relationship advice in 15 second reels, right? Like, I think you also like when you spend time with yourself, you also like practice like um, having a spirit of discernment because like not everyone's opinion, like it's valid. They feel it. That's where they are in their journey, but it may not always be helpful to you. But if you see other people who have done the work and have arrived at a place, of peace. And then I would say like going to those people and like asking them to kind of look with a different perspective at you and say like, Hey, what feedback do you have just on like where I am or like what you're seeing? And then again, like, don't like move, um, like automatically with like everything someone says, but like you should seek out those people who are, who've actually done the work is what I would would say. I think that is absolutely huge. And that's one of the things that uh, I had to kind of come to terms with because I think in that process you redefine yourself, right? Yeah. So if you go to people who have known you since you were, you know, twelve years old, they're gonna always think of you as that person, yes. and they may not be able to, you know, give you a, a proper snapshot, a proper perspective of who you are today. Yeah. But you know, going to these other people um, and them seeing you just as you are yeah. can be a profound experience. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, it, it's like people who give advice, and it's, I don't want to say people, like, don't take anyone's advice, but so, there was, like, a social media person once that I saw, and she was just very blunt. Um, she said, like, if you've not made a million dollars, like, you can't tell me how to make a million dollars. If you haven't broken generational curses, like, you can't necessarily, you can, but, like, psychologically, even if I want to respect and understand your opinion, like most of us are not early adopters of just like hearing something and thinking, oh, that's cool. We're going to do it. Most of us are like late majority in that like we need to see other people doing it um, and to see that it's worked before we subscribe to it. So like psychologically, I know that like even if you give me this advice that I'm tucking it away somewhere in my brain where it's like, but you like yeah, like I respect that you want to help me, help me, and I receive that in a very real like way. But I might not take that technical expertise and like go and invest in the things that you told me to invest in. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah. Just, you yeah. got to find the people who know what they're kind of talking about because they've done the work. <laughs> That's true, and uh, I deal in quotes a lot. And one that I like that I think describes this is "Beware the naked man who offers you his shirt." Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, why don't you have a shirt? You know what I That's mean? One of You're my telling me what to do. Yeah, you and I um, can relate in that aspect then, because I've been known to to speak in bumper stickers and Hallmark greeting cards. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my language. It's digestible, you know what I mean. And uh, you know, honestly, I think there's uh, more of a simplicity to life than people make. Like, I think we overcomplicate it. One hundred percent. So one hundred percent. I'm curious about creating. Right? You said that you do functional art. You said that, you know, this is a way for you to express yourself and kind of get those feelings out. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your art creating and, you know, what it means to you. Yeah. Um, Art, like I said, saved my life. Um, I'm so, I mean, I was always a doodler. doodler. Like I was that person who would just like draw things that I saw. I was always like, um, we were really poor growing up. So I will never forget actually one of my like little, you know, best friends in second grade. Like I made her an entire like paper doll series out of like old newspapers. And I think for me, it's creating art. Yes. But, but call it nature versus nurture, like a gift that I've had maybe 
I've always been able to turn what someone would say nothing is into something. And I think I, I've always had this perspective of like, if I don't like what I have, like I can change it. Um, and so when I look at my art and the functional pieces, I would say that's a manifestation of that thought process of like taking something, um, my art, like I started off making teapot sets. And I was really obsessed with this. And I think this was like, again, like psychology, like research is me search, right? Yeah, yeah. And so even when you're creating though, like you're you're creating it, something that you're questioning yourself too. And so like when you look at other different art forms, like I always like to, to look at it, think about what I'm thinking about, but I love meeting the artists and thinking about like, what was the artist thinking? And so when I was younger, I would create it like teapot, um, series. And so functional art is art that like is functional <laughs> that you can actually use um, for those of you who are listening who are like, what's functional art? And so like, you know, coasters or teapots, um, benches, benches is something like pianos that have been painted, like that's functional art. Um, and so I created these teapots that looked like they shouldn't work. And so I was really like, I love to like create things that people would look at and think like, wow, like it's a teapot with a bunch of holes in it. But then like, if you filled it up with water, like it would pour just like a regular teapot. And so I love, I love creating work um, that people can use, but also that sparks um, conversation. Right now I'm actually working on a functional series that just celebrates life, celebrates people, celebrates human connection and puts an emphasis on like human connection and gathering around food. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I mean, I paint too. Sometimes I will just uh, start a painting and just think about like, if I could put how I'm feeling right now onto canvas, like what would that look like? Um, and so like, I, I like to play with different mediums. Um, like I said, right now I'm playing, I'm playing in the resin space right now. I'm having a lot of fun with resin and wood, um, okay. but I love acrylic painting. I love clay. I love ceramics, anything that I can like get dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you determine like which direction you want to go next in that process? Because I know a lot of people maybe want to start doing something. Um, you said you don't call them hobbies. You said that you call them, you know, a part of who you are. A yeah. lot of people want to find, you know, part of who they are, but they don't necessarily know where to start. So yeah. you know, how do you, you know, go, oh, I'm just going to take some resin. I'm going to you know, do this woodworking. I'm going to do whatever kind of floats my boat. Yeah. Um, so this is probably where I'm like, am I going to give good advice here? So I'll tell you my process. I don't like take it for what it is. Um, honestly, I started working with acrylic too. So I think also people work with, um, the mediums that I think like they have a temperament for, which is why like resin is like super challenging for me lately because I usually work with acrylics. And so if you've ever painted with acrylic paint, like it dries pretty fast, like you can kind of manipulate it and like layer it. Um, and because it dries fast, you can work fast because I'm not like someone who like takes, um, like generally like hours and hours and hours on a piece, right? Like I want to create what I'm feeling, put it out there. And so I started originally working with acrylic for that reason, because it was really, it was really forgiving. You could layer on top of it and it was fast. 
working with resin has been a different process. So I would say like, as I'm practicing in, in my life stillness and patience and understanding of letting things flow and maybe having a different idea of what something should be in my head, but being okay if it changes, like working with resin is like a practice in that in my art. Um, because if you've ever worked with resin, like it is not like acrylic paint. Um, it goes where it wants to go. You can have a vision, but like it's going to do its own thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and being okay with that. Like, and so I would say um, I've found a way to like tie in acrylic with resin, which is really cool. And, and focusing on like the processing and curing process. Um, but I would say for other people who are looking for uh, an extension of how to like uh, manifest kind of like inner thoughts and feelings in in like a physical ways like usually like art that's what art is right um I would say understand like your temperament right like if you know that you're super impatient I wouldn't pick up oil painting <laughs> like, <laughs> oil painting takes forever <laughs> um, uh, also like um see what's around you because art is also can be really expensive too, like getting the supplies and stuff. But I think that being able to create art is all around you. So like, look at what you have access to. Like if you're someone who has access to a ton of like newspapers and um, magazines, like think about how you could reimagine that and play around with making like picture collages. And I would say like, don't limit yourself. Once you found something that works, like be open to exploring other things, but anyone can go out order on Amazon, like a $10, like pencil kit and like sketch pad. Right. And just like start drawing and just try everything. I would say that you can do try everything. I've done woodworking. I've done glass blowing. I've done steel working. And I really kind of like found myself like pulled into one of those. And so I would say try everything first, but know your temperament. That's what's up. Know thyself. That's, that's yes. pretty deep. Uh, a broader yeah. lesson there. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, again, you talked about being centered. You talk about knowing thyself um, through this art process and everything like that. Um, curious about your spirituality. Are you a spiritual person? Are you a religious person? Uh, what guides you as far as that goes? Yeah, I'm totally spiritual. Um, I am not religious at all. Um, I, I, and I think it's because I love to study religion. Um, I grew up with a really interesting background, grew up um, Jehovah's Witness, then my foster mom was like non-denominational Christian, but then I spent a lot of time um, in another foster home that was like Baptist. I had a, a Muslim friend growing up who like taught me a little bit about Islam and in college studied comparative religion and black world studies. And so I would say because I've studied so many different religions, um, it's been hard to just like center on like, this is my religion. And that's why I love, love, love is my religion. If I have a religion and I've had to think about like, like giving you like what I really believe in, it's love. And that's a component found in every single religion um, and, and doctrine. So I try not to think, I try to understand doctrine and then pick apart, like uh, use my discernment to like pick the things that I think like work with, who I am and what I believe in. And I've found truths in every single religion um, that I've studied. I, th I think that's beautiful. And I think that there is a thread 
of truth that exists in every religion. And that's kind of what I've seen as well. Like, I wouldn't consider myself a religious person, but, um, you know, growing up and getting exposed to different religions, it's kind of like, I think they're all saying the same thing at the end of the day, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and they all get it wrong sometimes in terms of like, uh, like how, and I don't think religion gets it wrong. I think people get it wrong. I think like when you center too far into one direction, you're always going to get it wrong because no one is, is completely one thing or another thing. Um, like innate, our, our genetic code wants to evolve, <laughs> right? Like as yep. human beings, we've been evolving. Like it's a DNA genetic code of every single species wants to evolve. And so like, I think that's why it's hard to just sit on one religion and think like, this is the way, this is the way that's going to set you free. It's tough. And I think when people center on that, that's, that's where we end up in a world of mess that we found ourselves in throughout, you know, eons after eon of unrest due to religious uh, tension and tension and intolerance, yes. Yes. you know, all of the above. Exactly. So, um, you know, speaking of, things that are going on now. Uh, you work from a place of love. What are you focusing on and what initiatives are you bringing forth to help combat some of this intolerance and things through that perspective? Yeah. Um, very, for me, simple things in terms of just like, how are we actually understanding people? How are we understanding how people are feeling about we're in the middle of a global pandemic? Um, so, Practicing love is also about like creating this space to hear and understand what other people are going through. And so I would say in my personal life, trying to create space and understanding that there's so much tension, the global pandemic in the U.S. for U.S. you know centered folks, we just came off of the heels of you know a historic election that had people very polarized. Um, and so creating mechanisms to actually hear people to actually hear people and to actually understand. Um, and it's it's ironic, right? Because like we have so many access, so much access to so many different types of podcasts, TV shows, like Instagram reels, like I said, opinions are out there, but now we've got, um, and I forget what it's called. You'll have to help me out here. Um, there's a theory uh, where you have too much information and it actually, can hurt you. It's like, um, I thought I looked at it earlier today. It's been a while since I've studied this, but it's been a while too, since yeah, I've studied I, I don't know it. Why and I can't think about it. I heard it through the lens of, uh, tomato sauce and how like we go to the grocery store and how there are 33 different options. And you're just like, ah, I don't know. I'm just grabbing this one, you know, and you don't really make, uh, that quality of a choice because you're so overwhelmed. Yes. Yeah. It's something very straightforward too, like the theory of like too much information. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's something very simple. Um, but I think that's what's happening now, where there's so many different things and so many different opinions that we are consuming things at a rapid rate, but we're not really understanding them. Like we're not I have to go through right now I'm going through a dark period on purpose on social media where like I've shut myself off from it during the election. Like I was very careful about how I curated my news um, because there is so much information out there that I think we have to be careful um, with being able to, to make the right decisions for ourselves. And so at work, I try to create mechanisms to just 
ask one question this hour. Instead of trying to like fit in like 17 different reasons why things didn't work, like ask one open-ended question, get get the opinions, like really understand where people are coming from um, and building trust. I do a community workshop uh, through Cohatch, which is a co-working space here in Columbus. Um, that's 100% just on, we talk about privilege, we talk about, um, stereotypes and um, inclusion and implicit bias, but we do it in a way that's centered around like, if I can actually understand someone and talk to them and have a conversation and move past self-preservation and start thinking community over, I need to protect myself, then we create things that are so much better than where we are now. Yeah. Um, and I try to do that at work too. Could you give me an example of, you know, one of the types of conversations you would have where you ask one of those open-ended questions and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so and there's actually like I'll send it to you after today's call too. Maybe there's a way to like flash it up um later, but I actually I have a stick figure drawing. So and again, you you and I were in the same space. Um and so I think you'll appreciate like sometimes we like overcreate like training modules and then there's just like one thing that sticks with people and there's this one thing that has stuck in my classes and that is a stick figure of just like a being a line under them and then under that line different things like family trauma like things that have happened to you in your past your belief system um your history your family upbringing and with that picture it, what it symbolizes is just like truly understanding people means like seeing where they are and then being able to go under where they're standing, like really breaking down that word, um, understand. And so like a question like as simple as like, what's your most proud moment? And someone saying that, uh, what their proud moment is, and then asking why. And then you keep asking why until like you can't ask why anymore. Like, okay, like why is that your most proud moment? And let people start opening up. And so I would say that's an example of one or like just in general, like tell me how you're feeling. Like, I know that's a big one, but like when you're sitting down with your teammates, like tell me how your feeling is as open-ended as, as it can get. Right. And people yeah. will tell you how they're feeling. They won't be able to help themselves. Right. Like, and it'll start off a little crazy and wonky. Right. Because they're like, oh my God, I wasn't prepared for this. Like, I was prepared <laughs> for you to tell me right now in the workspace, we're really conditioned for our leaders to like tell us what's wrong, tell us how we need to fix it, give me the steps one, two, three, that's going to help me get there. That it's disarming and, and like catches people off guard for a leader to just say, like, okay, you tell me how you're feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think relationships at work, especially, have almost become transactional. Like you say, like, hey, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? You know, it's like it's it's literally just here's yes. the input. Here's the output. You know what I mean? And uh, I think when someone asks you, like, how are you actually doing? Like, how yes. are you feeling? Like, tell me what's going on. You almost have to like, like, whoa, how am I? You know, yeah. it almost forces you to reflect. And so yes. I think there's some beauty in that. 100% agree with your comment that like we've become really transactional. I've actually stopped doing how are you when I see people like and I haven't walked a hall to see someone in like at work in like 10 months because I've been working from home. But in general, like even when you're greeting someone on calls, like right now I've, I've, I've asked leaders that I work with, like allow that first five minutes to be filled with like not work. Yeah, It's five minutes, right? Um, 
and like really create the space instead of just like, hey, how's it going? And people send back, they're like, hey, it's good. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't say it if you also aren't creating the actual space to hear how someone is too. So like, be careful with that. Um, and so like when I'm walking in a hall though, like I'll make sure I don't, I try to make sure I don't say like, hey, how are you? Versus like, have a good day. It's like, hi have a good day, right? Like, um, get into the practice of like, if you are going to create space, really creating space with your behaviors and not just your words. That's a good point. Uh, you know, I think tone is important. I think, uh, the follow-up is important and a lot of people don't want to take the time to do that. Uh, one thing that I like to do is come up with a new question because I don't like small talk. I don't like, Hey, how's the weather? I don't like, you know, the same old, you know, water cooler talk that you get. So I'll come up with a new question every so often and I'll ask people like, so what have you been doing for fun lately? Yes. You know, and to see how that is. I'm going to ask you, what have you been doing for fun lately? (laughs) I've been making a huge mess in my house. Like you can't see it right now because my laptop's on it and I'm too embarrassed to show you. But right now, um, I have like an eight foot long table, like eight by three foot table that is completely covered with sketches and drawings and prototypes um, for this new line that I'm launching. And that's what I've been doing for fun and for work, like for my work outside of my corporate work for like my my company that um, that I own. And that's what I've been doing for fun is, um, resin is very sticky. So there's like little resin fingerprints all around the house (laughs) (laughs) on like cabinets is actually not good. Like I'm actually learning how to like not be as messy. So, um, really random and actually creating things. Um, I need a good book. So if you have any good books that you've read lately, like I want to get back into, I did like a, a couple of years ago, I think you remember, like I did like a, a book a week challenge and it was awesome. And I've got to admit, like I haven't been reading for fun. And I think part of that is because like all of the things that I read now are for work. And so reading became kind of like a chore. Yeah. Um, and so I escaped through my art, but what recommendations? One I'm reading right now is uh, The Teachings of Kirpal Singh. And uh, he's a, I believe he's Indian or Hindu, um, but it's a book that my dad's friend gave me, actually. He said it was one of his most impactful books. Um, and so okay. it's called The Teachings of Kripal Singh, and I'll send that to you. Yeah, please do. The Wealthy Gardener is another one that I like. I'm reading that. It's um, a story of a guy who owns a vineyard, and he becomes rich, and basically he went against the grain. Um, his friends were making fun of him for saving his money and not going out drinking with them all the time and stuff like that. And then once they got older into their 40s and stuff, they found that he was able to do all these things that they couldn't. And so um, it's his life lessons that he left his son um, to kind of you know understand his story and things like that. So wow, yeah, I think it, that's pretty cool. That's so powerful too. Like if you ever look at your life and you're like, if I had to write a letter to like my future son or like whoever comes behind me, like what would I be saying about what I've learned? I think everyone should do that. Like practice, start, start doing that now. Maybe. I'm curious. You kind of posed the question yourself. If you had to write a letter to your future, you know, offspring or, you know, perhaps your younger self, if you want to you know, do the exercise that way, you know, what are some things that you would say? Or what are some nuggets Um, some gems that you've gathered along the way that you'd want to pass. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. It's somewhere tucked away too. This actually just reminded me. I like found the letter that I wrote as a senior to myself. Um, And my, like my seventh grade teacher, like sent them out. She like actually like kept them all and like sent them out in a couple of years. 
ago, I found it and it was like a letter to my future self. And I like bawled my eyes out because <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that like, I didn't even remember writing it, but I was like, wow, I was kind of a profound 12 year old. Like at the time I was like, my 12 year old self really knows what's up. Like she, she knew, she knew what was coming. Um, and now I'm like, oh, what would I say? Um, I would, I, so let's do future self now, like 10 years from now, I would, it, for me, it would be more of like a wish list. Like, I hope that you continued choosing love. Like, I hope that like, no matter what came your way, that you chose love, you chose to move out of love to create with it. Um, I hope you've expanded your perspectives. Like, I hope that you seek other people who are not like you so that you can truly practice understanding others and being kind and being empathetic and being compassionate. Um, those are the things that I would want my future self to still focus on. Like politics to me, it's cyclical. Things yep. are going to change. The pendulum's going to continue swinging. The The law of perp perpetuity will like stay in effect forever, right? Yeah. Perpetual motion. Um, but I hope that those things to me that are really like that center us as human beings, as like energy beings on this earth are still things that I care about. And that I've actually practiced. You said that 12-year-old was profound. I won't ask how old you are now, but however old you are now, that age person is pretty profound yeah, I had too. I like 20 years then. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's what's up though. And uh, I think that's something that people should do. And that's kind of a, a realization I had since March, right? We got you know, the pandemic, you had quarantine and everything like that. I got really tied into politics and, you know, how that yeah. was going. And um, I realized, hey, you know, these people can't really make a difference in my life as much as I can. You know, they, they can make big differences. They can try to pass laws and things yeah. like that. But ultimately, I'm the one that steers the ship and yeah. I need to figure out what I want to do with my ship. And so then it became, you know, this inner journey of yeah. how can I make my life better? How can I make those around me better? Yes. Um, what can I do in my community, you know, and, and make that type of impact? Um, yeah. Do you do any type of, you know, volunteer work or anything like that in the community? Yeah, I, I'm sad that I actually haven't been able to do like some of the more hands-on things. I'm that person that like, wants everyone to get up on Christmas morning and like go give to other people. Like I'm that annoying auntie that like wants to teach like my kids and my nieces and nephews about giving back. And so I try to give back as much as possible. And when I say give back, I don't really mean giving back. It's not a charitable thing either. It's like, I want to sow seeds into my community that I, that not only the future generation benefits from, but that like we all benefit from. Um, and so Cohatch, being able to provide that community workshop. Um, and I know we're looking at dates right now to continue that virtually. Um, so that's something to look forward to of um, facilitating conversations with our community of how do we build trust and understanding and compassion and empathy with each other is one thing. Um, I also, I've been advocating um, and been an activist for foster children for now, like almost 20 years, which yeah. makes me feel really old to say that. Oh my gosh. Um, for a really long time, I've been advocating for foster children. I think I mentioned earlier on, I was a foster youth and emancipated from foster care when I turned 18. Um, and so fighting for um, 
to eradicate homelessness in youth who are aging out of foster care is like an ongoing thing. Um, the last bill that I was able to, um, it was actually an initiative that I was able to work on was um, with Secretary Ben Carson and the Housing of Urban, um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development um, in DC, where we were able to launch like on-demand vouchers for kids um, aging out of foster care. And then uh, there's always some, a, a way to get involved. Um, I just adopted a couple of families and this was just from hearsay of um, someone was in conversation saying how like a couple mothers were gonna be struggling. So I think there's so many opportunities for us having a conversation with just a human being, like it doesn't always have to be attached to like a charitable organization, right? Like there are people, real people that we're connected with who like could use some cheer, who could use some like help and hope, like and hope coming from people that you, you see, I always think hits more real than like hope coming from like an organization, right? And so yeah. tis the season right now where like I hope that people just have conversations with people, ask people what they need. So we just talked about how like you can ask people like, how are you doing? Asking people what they need is like, has that same effect. And people may not want to tell you, but that's that's actually what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, uh, being on the receiving end of that question, you know, how how's someone answer that if they do need help? You know, yeah. because I, a lot of people don't want to, they're, they're too prideful to admit yeah. that they're in a place where they need help, you know? Right. And let me actually correct what I just said, too, because I actually don't think, like, asking people what they need specifically. I think there's a way to ask people what they need that doesn't come off as, like, making people defensive. So something that I like to do is just ask like, one, help me understand like where you want to go and where you're at. And like, let me know like one thing that would really help you in meeting that goal. Like what's one thing that would like really help you get closer to your goal? Like what's one thing that would help you rest? If you're a mother of three um, who's nervous about Christmas gifts, what's one thing that someone could do to bless you or to like take some of that weight off of your, your shoulders. And then it comes off as like, like more of a like, okay, I want to help you. I'm not giving you charity. I'm like, I'm helping you rest. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. and, and still people are, I think are going to be prideful for those who out there who do need something though. Like people want who are in spaces where they can give and they want to give, they want to. Um, and so like even offering to do things anonymously, like I think I do things all the time anonymously, not because it's like, let me put it on social media. Let me do this. But it's like from my heart, I feel a calling on my life to do something for someone. Like I'm in a position where I could do something that helps them meet their goal. And I think um, for those of you who want to do that, continue asking, having conversations for those of you who need it. Like, don't be afraid to say like, this would really help me out. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, you are a spreader of joy and I know you didn't do it for the kudos, but I want to give you kudos because you gave us some cheer and gave us some, uh, you know, apparel and equipment to get our apparel business going. And I thought that, that was beautiful because I, I don't know, it was just, for whatever reason, I was in a weird place that day. And you're like, hey, there are going to be some packages coming. Look out for them. And I was like, what the hell are all these boxes? Like, what is this? And uh, it was t-shirts and uh, Cricket Easy Press. So we could, you know, get some t-shirts going. And yes. That's and been you guys beautiful. dropped some drip. And, yeah. and like, that makes my heart so happy. I get emotional. Like, it's not like a sad emotional. But like, when I tell you like... I am love and I, I led with that. Like to me, this is like, 
I have felt love and I felt grace come from places in my life where maybe at the time I definitely, my behaviors didn't say that I deserved it. I wasn't at a point of being able to receive it and love changed my life. People's ability to love and unconditionally put good energy out there changed my life. And now I feel like because I was able to experience that, like I want to spread, I want to spread that shit everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> there's the, there's, um, there was a quote that I think Viola Davis had where she said like, the world will tell you to build up these walls to like protect yourself from getting hurt. But like what they don't tell you is like, that keeps the good stuff from getting out too. And like, I won't, I won't sit there and like let the good gifts of my heart spoil because I'm trying to protect myself. And so of course, like I was, and like, you're super creative and I knew that you all were going to like make some super dope stuff with that. And you did. So <laughs> I am excited to see what you all continue creating. Oh, it's just the beginning. We have some plans. So uh, that really was a catalyst for us. And so I really appreciate it. Like, thank you. Oh my gosh. You don't <laughs> have to thank me. You're so welcome. I love that. Well, one thing that you mentioned, uh, you were part of the foster care system. What would you want people to know about the foster care system? Um, it's something that people don't have much exposure to. Um, you hear about it in movies and maybe you run into someone, but they don't really talk about it much. So yeah. what's something that you'd want people to know about the foster care system and perhaps that experience? Yeah. So one, I would say um, it's interesting. There's a lot of intersections um, and intersectionality with foster youth and some of the other demographics that they fall under. So um, I think it's like 60% of of homeless people have experienced foster care or had been a foster um, person in their life. Um, 20,000 foster youth a year are going to age out of the system and not have access to um, resources, independent living. Um, only a third, 3%, 3% of that 20,000 will go on to get some kind of college education. Wow. And like 1% of that 3%, which is like 0. 0.00000, 1% of those 20,000 will go on to get a postgraduate uh, degree. Um, and so I would say um, 20,000 kids a year, think about like how many years we've been alive and that those are adults in our country who will find themselves either experiencing homelessness. There's a high rate of suicide in the first three years of aging out of foster care of drug overdoses and um, over 50 percent of, uh, I, I believe, I have to look at the metric again, um, will end up incarcerated at some point. Wow. Right. And so you have and and most of them will be African-American, Hispanic or Native American. Um, and so you have this huge demographic of of youth who entered care of no fault of their own. Right. It's yeah. usually because there's some systemic and some um, some generational um, disparages or gaps that exist in their families. Um, and so I would say like, if you do meet a foster, <laughs> someone who's been experienced foster um, care, like that's a really huge opportunity to not just show grace um, and understanding, but like to really look at our society and think about like, there's something that, because there's so many different intersections, like if you can focus on trying to eradicate and keep families together um, and focus on bridging some of these disparities and gaps that exist, I think in our homes, generally, generationally, like think about how many kids that you'll save from some of those other statistics. So 
Um, there are many different organizations to get involved in. I know most counties have a children's services um, have a children's services department that you can sponsor to adopt a kid. Um, I think they're still doing that. Franklin County does that every year where you can adopt a family or a kid, and that would be a really awesome way to spread some cheer, cheer this year. That's great. That's actually going to be my next question was how could we help? You know, so I appreciate you sharing those resources. Absolutely. So when you think about the way the world is now and you think about the work that you're doing, what do you want to see moving forward? I know that you said, you know, the letter that you write to yourself, um, you want to make sure that you keep practicing love. But in terms of the broader society, what would you like to see change? So many things. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, it's that. Um, I would love to get to a place where we understand each other and where we can have, and I think mechanisms like this, this is an awesome way to not just like talk with the people who are like-minded because there's some safety and and there's a need for that sometimes. Like iron sharpens iron, right? Like being around like-minded people definitely can, can help you grow. But what I would like to see as a society is that we actually start caring for each other that we actually understand. And it's for me, like love, it's not just like this, like hippie, like I am love, let's be love. When you become love, everything you do is love. It, yes, like I do feel that way. But it's also like um, the scientist in me that understands like evolution and understands like love actually is something that is very unique to human beings um, and that has evolved. Um and we need it to survive. Like we need to it to survive. If everyone, like when the world opens up, because something that we haven't actually talked about that I'm really into right now is studying the effects of like isolation and studying the effects of like, we know what happens when we have increased social connection. And we do kind of know what happens uh, when there's some isolation. But right now we're building industries and commerce around isolation, which I think is very dangerous. The DoorDash generation and the eating by yourself and getting used to eating by yourself when like eating is a very primal and like from a social connection perspective, like necessary thing for us to do to grow as a society. The fact that we can't do that anymore is very dangerous to me. I would love your take on this actually. Like what are you seeing? What are you thinking when you hear that? So I, I find that interesting. Um, I, I am seeing a lot of the same things, you know, the, the Pelotons and like all these things encouraging people to kind of stay home and be by themselves and have this digital form of connection, which I don't know is a good substitute or not, um, because I've actually found some frustration in meetings where uh, Zoom or Microsoft Teams will be lagging and I'm getting upset because I can't understand the person, yes. but it has nothing to do with them. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, I'm like, ah, oh, this is so stupid. And so yeah. uh, it's creating this weird, like, like I don't want to say like alternate reality, but it's, it's not, it doesn't feel real. And uh, yeah. I'm actually curious your perspective on cancel culture, because it seems like modern day exile. You know, when I, I think about the things that hurt a human being, it's, hey, you have to get out of the tribe. You have to go yes. live by yourself. And that's what we're doing to people when they make a mistake. And there's this landscape of, hey, you have to be absolutely perfect. And you have to go along with the narrative that's in society or else, bye, you're shunned. Yep. You yep. Know? So what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, cancel culture is so terrible to me. <laughs> um, 
Now, and, and I don't mean to say that, like, I don't believe there's the law of cause and effect too, right? That's a universal law of nature. Um, that if you do something, it's going to have a, an effect. Um, however, we have to find this balance between, like, understanding that there's um, an effect from whatever it is that you do, but also like redemption has to be at some point be tangible. And if, and here's my question that I post to, to people, cause I'm an a activist, right? I fight for things though. I don't fight against things always. Um, and I do think that there's a balance even there that we have to strike of like, yeah, I'm fighting against this because this is wrong. But I like to think about if there's an opportunity to fight for something, to be for something and build something, that's where I'm going to put my energy. And I think it's the same thing with like redemption. Um, and we have protests that happen. And, and here's my question. If we don't believe in redemption, then why are we protesting for change? If you don't believe people can actually change, you have 50 million Americans who still voted for a symbol in this company, in this com company, country, <laughs> same thing, right? You're right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, who, who voted for someone who stands for that, right? And they're not going away tomorrow. They're like, Thanos is not here to like, like snap his fingers and get rid of them, right? Um, a little Infinity Wars humor for those of you <laughs> listening who are Marvel fans. Um, but that's not happening anytime soon, right? And so if we protest, who are we protesting for? We're not protesting for ourselves, right? Like we know what we want. Um, and so if you just cancel people, you don't give them an opportunity to redeem themselves and to change their behavior. I think that's very dangerous. And it also feels like, um, like okay, then, then energy wasted and spent for what? Yeah. So yeah, cancel culture it's tough. And because like, like information changes your perspective. And so instead of like canceling people, we should provide mechanisms to introduce a different perspective to them. And, and I know that there's like, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. That's to me, that, that's the biggest thing. Cause I've been actually tripping out lately about the fact that not everyone has the same access to information, right? Like I think it's what, 60% of the world has access to the internet. And it's right. like, are, are they reading the same things? Are they focused on the same right. things? Is the construction worker that works outside for 12 hours a day really reading as much as, you know, the librarian who has time to right. sit in front of books and things? So it's like, right. man, it, it's wild when you think about the disparity in knowledge that exists, yet we yeah. hold everyone to this expectation of, hey, you have to be the most cutting edge in yeah. every form of knowledge that exists, you know? Right. And so, and you're, you're a learning and delivery person, right? So you'll, you'll get this analogy. Like when we're teaching someone something new, like a new skill set, um, and we may say like, the, here's the standard we have of performance. This is like the level of performance that we expect. It's unfair to set that if they don't understand like the steps and the tools and resources and support that they would need to actually attain that. Right. And I get it. Like, for everyone who feels the way we do, I also respect and I understand the people on the other side who say like, it's not our responsibility as black women to, to be the teachers always. I get that. And so for me, I don't look at it. I'm black and indigenous and, um, and a minority in the corporate space as a leader. Right. And so I get that. Like I've had those moments where I'm like, I shouldn't like, I shouldn't have to teach you that like when I wear my hair curly that it's, uh, you can't just grab my hair. Like I shouldn't have to. And at the same time, like 
I understand why you don't know that. And so I take it upon myself as a responsibility to like teach you and educate you on something that you may not have known. And I get not everyone's going to be like that. That's that's my way. (laughs) There's a a lot of empathy in that statement that you said. And um, I think that takes a, a mature person and it takes a person who's working from a place of love in order to, you know, be able to have that insight. So I commend you for that. We're getting pretty close to an hour and you've said so many things. There's so many gems in this conversation. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the question I like to end the podcast with is if you had the ears and eyes and attention of every single person in the entire world and you could deliver one message, what would you tell everyone? Oh, so, I mean, I think I've probably said this like three times. So, or if I haven't, this will be the third time. I hope that you find a way to be for something and to do something with love. I hope you work on yourself. I would say spend time like loving yourself and being able to give love to other people. I really think that it's our ability to love each other that's going to change where we are now um, to where we want to go in the future. And so I would say, learn to lead with love. And I would just always ask myself, like, what does doing this with love look like? And so what I would say is actually just a question, like before you do anything, before you speak to someone, before you reply to that Facebook post, like what would doing that with love look like? Hey, amen. You know, so I appreciate the love that you show me and my family. And so I want to say I love you, bud. I love you too. I love you guys. I love you, Kelsey. I know you're in the background somewhere.